Hey everybody, I'm Anna McEwen. And now for Bob Switzer with the epic narrative. Well, glory. It's good to be back with you guys. Man, I'll tell you, I don't care how long it is in between these these uh, episodes. Internally, I, I get stuck. Like, I love telling these stories. And as always, I appreciate anybody who listens. But internally, I just love doing them. I think I'd do them anyway. Uh, it's just awesome. And, and I've come to understand why when podcasters say, I appreciate your support, they're not really, well, some probably are talking about your financial support, but Really what it is, is when when you know, like, in my case, like 75 or 100 people are listening, like you feel supported in that. I don't know. It feels good. You guys made me feel good. Thanks for being here. We're, we're in a, <laughs> this, this part of the story is, uh, is, is a chapter in Genesis. We're in Genesis 38 in which Joseph doesn't even appear in the, in the story, but it's important because of what happens to Judah. Now, Judah, if you remember uh, in, in the past few episodes, right, uh, Judah had in his mind, he was the one who, um, well, uh, that's, that's not going to work. We'll go to Reuben. Okay, Reuben, remember, he was trying to get his place back as, as firstborn, right? He had lost that when he tried to manipulate his father to sleeping with Leah after Rachel had died and he just was kind of put it off to the side. And his plan was to go back to the well and drag, Ju- drag Joseph out and bring him to his father. In other words, in a, in a way to elevate himself back into the family um, firstborn role. Judah, on the other hand, he didn't want to kill Joseph either and was actually looking for a way to rescue Judah. So his plan was sell him to, to the slave well, they probably weren't slave traders. They were probably uh, spice traders. But he was like, sell them into the caravan. Probably in all actuality, the thought was, we'll make dad think he's dead. We'll, we'll help dad realize that we're the ones that really matter. And then we will go, like, I'll go back and find him again. Like, I'll, I'll rescue him back from the slave traders and just make up a story. Like, this, this is where, like, time before the internet, it just made deception all all the easier because you couldn't find any tracking you couldn't find any television you couldn't find any closed circuit any doorbell recordings like how many many people now get caught doing stupid things <clears throat> entire youtube channels just dedicated to to criminals getting caught or people doing stupid things that are caught on just doorbell recordings so all of this Without all of this, I mean, it's just a lot easier to for Judah to have thought, listen, we'll sell them to the traders. They'll take them down to Egypt. Within a, you know, a month or two, dad will be sorry he ever elevated Joseph above all of us and will finally appreciate all the work that we do and the fact that we're still here in the family. And now I can go get, uh, you know, Jude, uh, Joseph back and rescue him, and everything will be great. So Judah was, had his own plan of self-elevation. Well, when they get back, remember they, they sent the, the robe ahead, all bloodied. Then they showed up later. Dad's in mourning. He's distraught. 
The brothers are looking around at Judah and realizing this was not a good plan. Like dad's making claims that that basically he's not gonna come around and realize the error of his ways. He's going deeper into the fact that, that Joseph was the chosen one. Now, why, why uh, you know, uh, Jacob did that, I, you know, that's, that's another whole story of just poor parenting. But I've touched on it before. There's so many of the ancient fathers of the faith that are just, they were horrible fathers. They just did not do a good job. And Jacob is not an exception to that rule by any means. So all of this is going on, and it starts out in, in Genesis 38, the first verse. At that time, Judah left his brothers and went down, I emphasize that on purpose, to stay with a man of Adullam named uh, Hera. Now, with all that going on, all the the mourning of Joseph and the and the deception and the depression and the questioning of plans, etc. When when it says that at that time, that's the time that Judah left. Now remember, not all the brothers were involved in the decision to sell him into slavery. They were all involved in the decision to throw him in the well. But remember, Reuben wasn't a part of the decision, and there were probably a number of other brothers that were not around when they pulled him out of the well and sold him into slavery. Judah had had taken a leadership role. So when they all show up and dad is like freaking out and not responding well to the whole deal, as, as well as Judah was planning, Judah had lost... Uh, credibility amongst his brothers. The brothers blamed Judah for uh, Jacob's grief and for the depression. And the brothers started to believe that if, if, if he had let them in on the plan, they also would have, have basically chosen to bring Joseph back with them. But Judah wanted to do it alone. Now the brothers had listened they 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 listened to Judah. They uh they uh, they respected Judah. They did not respect Reuben, which is why Reuben didn't bring anybody in on his plan to rescue Joseph and bring him back to the father. They all went with Joseph. Uh, those that were around went with Judah's plan. And when Judah went kind of rogue and did his own plan, he lost position and influence. And that's what it means when it says he went down. It doesn't. It's. It's one of those beautiful literary combination things that that uh, Jewish writing does, Hebrew writing does. It combines both the character and the ge- geography of an of a story into one uh, meaning, into into one phrasing of meaning. He went down literally. He went down spiritually. He went down uh, in position. He went down in influence. He went down, and he stayed with the man of Adullam named Hera. Just so you know, and I'll try and bring this up again, but this is gonna this chapter is gonna cover about twenty years of life, which is not unusual for for uh, you know for a Bible chapter to do. It covers usually a lot of time, 
But in covering all that time, we often, you know, we read the verses and we just kind of move along like, oh, you know, like this kind of maybe a year, maybe two. No, this is a, when it says he left his brothers and went down to stay with the man from Adullam down in Canaan, uh, it, it's, it's a big deal. It's not a little thing like, I'm just going to go spend a few years somewhere else take all of my possessions, take all of my all of my flocks, all of my servants, all of my money, and I'm going to kind of, you know, pack it up in the in the RV and take it down to the down to Adullam for a little while. No, like this he went down when he when it says he left his brothers, like there was there was the concept of he may never come back. He left with an idea that he may never return. And this is significant when you're reading the story, because if you just think it's a couple year thing, you think, yeah, they, they might have been a little mad or whatever, but everybody everybody's going to get together in the end. No, like he left, he had lost his position as a, 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 with the brothers and he lost his, his role in the family. That's why he went down. And he, and he lost that role, those roles, because of the choice he made to sell Joseph into slavery instead of leaving him in the well, which is what they had all agreed to do. And again, why did they agree to do that? Because it 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 <laughs> it goes to that old saying, like, well, if God wills. Like they didn't want to kill Joseph, they didn't want blood on their hands, but if they put him in a position where only God could rescue him, then if he dies, it's not their fault. And that's just a general feeling that that still exists today in the Middle East. There's still this idea that that if usually it's Allah. But it's that whole concept of we just, you know, we will throw you in the fire pit if you if you survive. Well, then I guess you're God's chosen. But if you don't, that's not that's not on us. You know, you you had sin in your life, you have evil in your life, and the gods have chosen to destroy you for it. It it's that it's that mindset that goes into throwing Joseph in the well. It's the idea that we'll throw him in the in the well. And we'll just see what that, we'll see what God's plans are for Joseph. So Judah looks at that and he's like, okay, I have a plan. I don't think God wants us to kill him. He gets a couple brothers on his side. They go with the plan. They pull him out. The other brothers find out about it later. They send the, the robe away. They come in. Dad's like completely in a tailspin. And once again, they're like, wait a minute, Judah, 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 this was a very bad idea. So much so, there was so much aggravation over what Judah did that he had to leave the family. This is what we're talking about. He left and he went down on many levels. And then it says in verse two, Judah met the daughter of a Canaanite man named Shua. He married her and made love to her. This is again, <laughs> this is again one of those verses that takes more than 30 seconds to occur. The idea of meeting a Canaanite man means that he was a prominent man, probably somebody who was very wealthy, had a ton of trade. Judah probably was making a, a market arrangement with him, a covenant arrangement with him to increase trade and to increase each other's wealth. This was not a flippant like, woohoo, she's cute. I think I'll marry her. It's not a country song. This is this is the way things were done and in, and in some cases still done to this day. You marry because of position and what what it will do for you and your family. So he was a he was a wealthy uh, single man who was kind of disenfranchised from his family, 
and he met another wealthy man and was like, all right, this is good. He's got a daughter. I can, I can double down on this. No, I mean, this is, this is the way it works. So he marries her and then like good grief, literally we cover probably 15 years of life in the next few verses. She became pregnant, gave birth to a son named Er. She conceived again, gave birth to a son named Onan. She gave birth to another son named Shela. Who, uh, it, it was at Kezib that she gave birth to him. Judah got a wife for Er, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. Wait, like, <laughs> like he's not going to put Er, is not going to get a wife before she. he's probably at least, like I said, 18 or 19 years old. So we just crushed like 20 plus years. Keep that in mind. I know I know I'm such a stickler of time, aren't I? I do that all the time. I do that all the time. I just say I'm, I'm I, I I've always been internally wired for time. I remember even as a I, I, I tell you this because those of you that listen, this is this is a very exclusive group. <laughs> so I can let you know. I remember in uh fifth grade. Everybody had watches. I didn't have a watch. I was convinced in fifth grade that my brain was the best clock in the universe. And I started to confidently, when people said what time it was, you know, what time is it? I would confidently tell them what time it was without, I didn't have a watch and I wouldn't look at a clock. And I started to realize, I mean, within days, I could be within one or two minutes of the actual time that was on the clock and people would freak out. Little uh, people, you know, my people, the fifth graders that I was around. I was, it was, I was impressed. It was uncanny. To this day, I still, I still am confident when people ask me what time it is, I'm pretty confident as to what time it is without looking at a, at a watch or a clock. But especially when it comes to how much time it takes people to, to move around or how much time it takes to get something accomplished. I'm amazed at how good I am. And I don't, I don't say that to brag. I think anybody can be. I just have this wiring that, that goes for it and figures it out and can tell just by walking around. Uh, uh, I think I mentioned it before. Like if I go to a wedding or to a conference, or oh, especially conferences, and I look at the schedule, I know immediately what's not going to work. And I think, who made the schedule? You can't get that many people from this place to that place in that amount of time. Like nobody, nobody can do that. And I'm 100% right every single time. And I often think, who, who, you know, who's, who's doing this? Who's not paying attention? But it's just the way I'm wired. So when I read these verses, I just see time and 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 time. And it's literally years, probably 20 years of life is now has now been expelled or, uh, you know, covered in these verses. All right. So he and verse seven, but it, but Ur, Judah's firstborn was wicked in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord put him to death. What? Oh, my gosh. What is what are we talking about that wicked? What does that mean? It means he was just a generally bad dude. That's what it means. Now, some say it's because he, uh, like his next brother, right, he was doing this, 
it was there was twisted sexual activity. That could be. I don't know. Wicked covers everything. Just a general wicked bad dude, especially the treatment of others. And then it says, so God killed them. No, no, sin kills people. This guy was involved in wickedness. Wickedness opens the door to death. Death is what kills people, not God. I know that's a radical concept for a lot of you because you just think, well, God kills all the sinners. No, sin causes death, not God. For the wages of sin is death, not God. That was true in the Old Testament. It's true in the New Testament. So don't try and twist the two together. Like, well, this is the God. And I know I've been over this. Don't twist the God quote of the Old Testament. Be like, and God and Jesus is different. No, Jesus and God are the same. Jesus didn't kill people. God doesn't kill people. Wickedness kills people. Sin kills people. That's what killed Ur. So Judah says to Onan, now I don't know how much time is between, uh, years are between Ur and Onan, but I'm guessing it's probably uh, probably about five. So he goes to Onan and he says, sleep with your brother's wife and fulfill your duty to her as a brother-in-law to raise up an offspring for your brother. Now, this is again, a normal, culturally normal behavior. It was a brother's job to produce an heir for his brother if he died without any heirs after he was married. So Judah goes to Onan and says, all right, your brother didn't have any, any children. You need to father children for your brother's namesake. Now, it didn't mean that all the children would belong to his brother. It just meant the firstborn son would carry on the name of his brother and then he could have children of his own with this woman. But he was also wicked, right? Verse 9, but Onan knew that the child would not be his. So whenever he slept with his brother's wife, he spilled his seed on the ground to keep from providing offspring for his brother. Now, some people think that's what Er was doing as well. I don't think so, just because of the general concept of wickedness. But if that's what you want to go with, that's fine with me. Go for it. But definitely Onan was also wicked and selfish. And because he knew that the firstborn son wouldn't be his, he was like, fine, then we're not having children. I mean, honestly, this is just this is just so unloving because it's so rude. And and it so in essence he was he honestly this is this is a form of rape and abuse. He literally was pleasuring himself with his quote wife. But he refused to fulfill his duty in the name of family and culture. This is like the selfishness of this speaks to the wickedness that Onan to the wickedness of Onan. That's 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 just it. Selfish, arrogant, um, rude, unkind, abusive, manipulative, and it probably speaks to the character of his father Judah, <clears throat> who I do know in the Hebrew text they they literally bend over backwards oh it's it's so tragic the way that they try to make judah and the all these brothers seem like they're everything was fine with them that they're almost almost messiah-like in their behavior you don't get sons like this if you're a messiah-like in your behavior just the way it goes
All right. So, uh, verse 10, what he did was wicked in the Lord's sight, so the Lord put him to death also. So back to the same thing. God doesn't put people to death. Sin puts people to death. The wickedness of Onan is what put Onan to death. That's what happened. We get a picture of his wickedness, i.e. selfishness and arrogance and unkindness and cruelty by the way that he would, in essence, uh, do that to his wife. <laughs> I don't know who's listening to this. So if you have a child, I, uh, I, I, I bleeped myself there. To <laughs> you, can, you can explain it however you'd like with the chillins that might be listening. All right. So now, now we go to verse 11. Oh, there we go. Sorry, my computer shut off. I got nervous. I thought maybe I'd, I'd missed recording, but it looks like it's still, even when it goes dark, it still records. So <sighs> experiment unintentionally had here in the middle of my recording. On with the show. Uh, verse 11. Judah then said to his son-in-law, or daughter-in-law, sorry. He goes to Tamar and he goes, why don't you live as a widow in your father's house until my son Sheila grows up? So again, I think that there's a time gap in here, probably five, six years. So let's say let's say Ur got married when he was 20. Uh, Onan got married when he was probably 15 or 16. And now you're looking at probably a 12-year-old uh, kid 13 was considered manhood, so he could have got married. But Judah's like, uh, you know what? Let's give him a couple years to grow up, and then I'll give him to you. And she's probably not much more than a teenager either. She's somewhere in her teens. It's not like she got married when she was 20 or 25 either. She probably got married when she was 12 or 13, and now it's been four or five years. So she's probably a teenager. Uh, Sheila is... Uh, or Shayla, or however you want to say his name, he's probably an early teen or preteen. He's like, listen, let's let him grow up a few years, and then I'll give him to you as a as a husband, and we'll just see how things go. But Judah was actually thinking he's going to die too, just like his brothers. So he was trying to get her out of his household, out of his care, out from under his tent, put her away as a widow, and let her live her life in hopes that the whole scene would kind of go away. Now, this probably put a lot of his business in jeopardy, but it, at the time, it looked like he was doing the right thing. But he probably knew long-term, I've got to figure out a way out of this contract that I have with this family because I think that this woman might be killing people. Now, that that was the implication of he'll die too. He would die just like his brother. Whether it was this wickedness of, of his brothers was something that Judah saw in in his son, Sheila, or was it the, whatever that wickedness is that was involved in the twisted sex mindset? I have no idea. But it could also be that he was thinking, she's killing my sons, and if I give Sheila to her, she's going to kill him too. It's, it's pretty much open for interpretation. So this, this whole story gets crazier and crazier that maybe she was doing something that forced them to spill their seed on the ground so that she couldn't get pregnant. Or maybe she didn't want to get pregnant. Like, I don't know. It's it's literally all 
in the traditions. It's all, it can all, all those ideas can all be implied. So when, again, when you read it, you've got all this time, you got this twisted mindset, you've got these, these possibilities, and yet they literally could all be true. These guys could be wicked, she could be twisted. She might not have wanted their children because of how wicked they were. So she was, she was, you know, getting them to pull out. I have no idea, but it ain't right, whatever it was. But Judah didn't want Sheila to die, so he didn't want to marry her off, marry him off. So he sent her away. So after a long time, again, years, people, years, After a long time, Judah's wife, the daughter of Shua, died. When Judah had recovered his grief, in other words, when he had mourned for the appropriate amount of time, he went up to Timnah to the men who were shearing the sheep. And his friend Hera, who the Adunamite, Adolamite, went with him. This was the guy he first went down to see, not the guy who gave him a, a daughter to marry. This is a friend of his, a, a marketer, um, somebody who helped him along the way with his flocks. And of course, sheep shearing, as you know from from uh, from season one, sheep shearing <laughs> is a total party time. It's it's a whole celebration of wealth and how how blessed you are and how wealthy you're going to be and how many you know how many uh, people are going to be paying you for the for the wool and your fulfillment of contracts and there's just a lot of money and a lot of drinking and a lot of opportunity to kind of disappear and let off blow off steam and I think that's what Judah went to do you know his wife died he mourned for the appropriate amount of time he looked around he looked at the calendar and said this is awesome I can go up to uh you know to sheep shearing city I can uh, kind of disappear I can just kind of be one of the guys again I'm a widower I can have some fun maybe find me a woman have a little bit more fun, let off some steam. Yeah, I think we're good about that. I think I'm good about this. So then it says, verse 13, when Tamar was told your father-in-law is on his way to Timnah to shear sheep, she knew what that meant. She knew he was going to have a party. He was going to let off steam. He was going to look for a good time. Hmm, so she had a little plan of her own, which again speaks to her own connivingness, which I'm sure was not a, a new part of her character. It probably was true from the moment she got married. So he, she hears about the trip, which means she had friends within the and contacts within the household of Judah. This was not a, uh, a, a happenstance. There were people that were keeping an eye on the fact they liked her. <clears throat> they wanted her to succeed. They wanted her to have a husband. They wanted her to have a, ch a child so that she wouldn't be a widow the rest of her life. And so they were keeping an eye on the fact that Sheila had grown to a point where he could be married and he hadn't been. And so they let her know and they let her know that, hey, your father-in-law is going up to party at Timnah. So she took off her widow's clothes. She covered herself with a veil to disguise herself and sat down at the entrance to Enum, which is on the road to Timnah, for she saw that those Sheila had now grown up, she had not been given to him as a wife. So she went to disguise herself. She's on the way, not quite in the city, just outside the city, something a little more subtle, something that she knows if, if Judah's looking to kind of disappear, 
He's not going to be wanting to be in the middle of the party. He knows better. People know him. But if he wants to sleep with uh, a prostitute, he's going to pick somebody who's probably clean, somebody who's considered uh, pure, which would be a which would be a temple prostitute. So she dressed appropriately for the role. And she knew at the time that the that the youngest son had been kept from her. So she comes up with this plan. She dresses appropriately. She sits where she knows Judah will be going by, and she probably knows the things that he likes because she knew her his first two sons, and she behaves appropriately and captures his attention. Not realizing that she was his daughter-in-law, verse 16, he went over to her by the roadside and said, Come now. Let me sleep with you. And uh, what will you give me to sleep with you? Like like she was, it, like this was one of those things where like if, if you were watching the movie, you'd be like, oh, dude, you did not just fall for that. But he's so confident that he's outside the realm of, rec- of being recognized, that he's outside the normal of his life, that he just thinks there's no way anybody knows who I am. He sees a temple prostitute that he thinks is, all right, she's clean. I'm not going to get any heebie-jeebies being with her. She behaves in such a way that it captures his attention. I'm, I'm, My contention is she knew what that was. She knew what he liked in women because she had been around his household. She knew his wife. She knew what her his sons liked, and they tend to like the same thing. So she immediately says, what are you going to give me? He says, I'll send you a young goat for my flock, right? I mean, he was not a shepherd. He didn't have the flocks with him, but there were plenty of flocks around. He's like, I'll I'll send you one. She said, all right, that's worth it, which is bizarre to me, but we can get into that on a personal level if you want, (laughs) but that's what a good ride, I guess, was worth. She said, but I want some surety that I'm going to get the goat. So what will you give me between now and when the goat arrives? He's like, I don't know. What do you want? She said, I would like your seal and its cord and the staff in your hand. Now, the staff would have been one that he had on a regular basis. And the cord and the seal probably was something that he wore either around his neck or around his waist. This is the way that he would seal documents. So, so he knew that if I give this to her, everyone knows this is my seal. Everyone knows it's me. So I'm definitely going to send the goat because I don't want this being float, you know, floating around the other prostitutes at the temple. So he's like, all right. And off they went. It's, it's like just like that, just bing, bang, boom. I'll pledge it to you. You're, uh, so he gave them to her and he slept with her and she became pregnant by him. I mean, it's just... <laughs> It just seems like this happened so quickly, but it did. It probably happened in a matter of a few hours. He he felt whatever great. I don't I don't know. Uh, I'm guessing she stayed veiled the whole time, which may be one of those things that temple prostitutes did. Because in temple prostitution, you would you were in theory uh, interacting with the gods. So you didn't you the the woman would often wear uh, veils or sheets over her, and you were in theory supposed to you know whatever imagine uh, celestial activity <laughs> for celestial sex. I'll just say it. Uh, anyways, enough about celestial uh, temple prostitutes. So 
after she left, she took off her veil and put on her widowed clothes again and disappeared, right? Meanwhile, Judah sent the young goat with his friends. So all the sheep shearing thing is done, all the drinking's done, all the partying's done, everybody's happy, everybody goes back to their thing. It's been, you know, probably a at least a week or two. He finally gets home. It's probably now been three weeks. So he sends his friend who was part of the whole deal and knew that he had slept with this prostitute. He's like, can you bring the prostitute, the goat? I need my cord back. I need my seal back. I need my staff back. People are going to start to wonder, you know, why I don't have these things. And, and I don't want to tell them that I lost them. Uh, and I definitely don't want her showing up some in some city with my seal and start making contracts that I don't, I don't want to make. So Adelum goes up to find this, right? He can't find the woman. He can't find her anywhere. So he asked the men who lived around there. He's like, hey, where is the prostitute that works for the shrine, the, the religious, the, the temple prostitute uh, that sits by the road of Enum? And they were like, oh, man, there's no prostitute here. Like, and again, the, the phrasing there means like there's never been one. That she's not here and there's never been a temple prostitute here. So now Adelum's like, wait a minute. That's bizarre because I was, I mean, he can't say this out loud, but it's like in his mind, this is, this is a, this is a big deal. So he goes back to Judah and he tells her, tells him all this. And he's like, okay, fine. Then let her keep what, what she has, or I will become a laughingstock. After all, I did send the goat like I was supposed to, but we couldn't find her. So in his mind, He's he's still cued into the fact that this was a that this was a con job. He's like she was a prostitute. I know a prostitute when I see one and when I've been with one. And she knew what a prostitute was supposed to do. So all that happened. And now she has my cord and my seal. But you know what? That's fine. Let her keep it. Because if I start tracking her down, I'm the one that's going to look foolish because everybody's going to be laughing at the fact that Judah is now trompsing around the city or trompsing around the countryside with a private investigator or whatever looking for a temple prostitute that nobody had ever seen or heard from ever before in that area. So he clearly got conned and he's like, fine, let her have it. So all that goes on, right? He dismisses it. He moves on. Verse 24, three months later, three months later, again, this chapter takes up so much time. Judah is told, your daughter-in-law, Tamar, is guilty of prostitution, and as a result, she is now pregnant. Wow. Three months, she's starting to show, right? Theoretically, she's a widow. She's living at her father's house. So now he has the solution to the problem that he's been trying to avoid marrying his son off to her because he doesn't know if she's killing him. Or if, he, if they're dying because of who they are, like whatever, he just doesn't want him to die. It's the last son he's got. So he immediately sentences her to death. Now, why can he sentence her to death and not her father? Because technically she belongs to him even though she's living with her father. She's still under his authority because he's the father-in-law. She was married into his family. The, the uh, not contract, the covenant between the families is that she belongs to him. So he immediately sentenced her to death. Problem solved. Everything's good. So as she is being brought out, so she's going to be, she's going to die. She sends a message. She's like, all right, I understand. I'm being accused of being a prostitute. This stuff 
belongs to the man that I slept with. Please send it to Judah and see if he recognizes it. She doesn't even call him out or accuse him. She asks the question. She says, bring this to him and see if he recognizes who's, who, who it belongs to. So they, they grab it. They run it over to him. And Judah recognizes it. I mean, you can kind of picture it. And he, I, it says that he said to them, Judah recognizes those things. And he said, she is more righteous than I. Since I wouldn't give her to my son, Sheila, and he did not sleep with her again. So I don't think it happened like in a moment, like in, in 30 seconds, like she she throws, I mean, you could do it if you were in a movie, you could do a dramatic scene where she throws the the staff and the cord and the and the seal on the ground and says, this is the man who who I slept with. And oh my God. And he's like, don't kill her. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna marry her. I'll take care of the child. Like you could do that, but it didn't. There were there was time in here. They were gonna kill her. She made this not accusation, but asked this question. And by culture, they would have said, well, she deserves that. So they bring it to her father-in-law. He recognizes it. And he's like, wow, wow, wow. All right. All right. This is this is my fault. And I'm sure everybody's like, what? Yeah, it's my fault. I yeah, I did that. I did that. And she uh she's doing the right thing. She's doing the right thing. I uh I slept with her. I gave her my cord, my seal, because I wouldn't give her my son to sleep with and to be married to. So his deception is exposed. It says uh, when time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys, which can I just say this little, these few verses, like these sound hor- like a absolutely horrible birthing process, right? So he he when he realizes what happened, it says basically he took care of her the rest of her life. Like he did the right thing for her the rest of the way. So she gives birth. <laughs> it says that the first one came out and the she had twins, which doesn't sound comfortable to me to begin with. The first one comes out hand first. So the hand comes out and the midwife ties a little red cord around it so that she knows who the first one is so that you can tell them apart because no one knows if they're identical or not, right? Then it says he draws his hand back in, which to me sounds horrific. And then the other one comes out first, which means the two of them were in the canal at the same time. Like this, they had to be Joshua. One of them shoves his hand all the way out and then pulls it all the way back in. And then the other one, I'm sorry, all, all of the, I've been at many births, all, I mean, for family, four, four of my own and several of my daughter-in-laws and Oh my gosh, none of it looks comfortable. This whole scene sounds horrific to me. But they both came out fine. And the daughter lived, the uh, the daughter-in-law at this point, right? Tamar. So not only do these twins come out, but they're both in the line of the Messiah. It's, Again, it's bizarre. The line of the Messiah goes through so many twists and turns and 
and like horrible family lines. And yet the Messiah comes out of it. And I'm always encouraged by that because it always means that circumstances are irrelevant to the plans of God. Circumstances are, are, are irrelevant to the heart of God. He's always about redemption. He's always about uh, resurrection. He's always about um, re- you know, renewal. And you don't have to be perfect to be used. You don't even have to be nice. I don't think Judah was a nice guy. His sons were wicked sons. And although Shela never had to marry Tamar, uh, you know, Judah did. He, he kept her as his wife, but he never slept with her again. This story plays into the line of, of the Messiah. And you know what? It's probably there for a reason. I don't know all the reasons, but at least now we know most of the story. And we will continue the story on the epic narrative next week. Thanks for stopping by, everyone. Don't go anywhere. We've got Bob Thoughts. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to my thoughts. Have you ever had a part of your life that you kind of wish you could have? I don't know, maybe erased. I know in today's culture, people can do that uh, through the internet and stuff. They can go through and they can they can erase things that they've said or done, even though because the, also because of the internet, you actually can't ultimately do that. But I know... Like I, I know of preachers that kind of have grown up online and, and this one particular guy I'm thinking of, he's he's actually an amazing theologian, but there was things he did as a 20-year-old, we'll call him a exuberant, um, passionate young man that he has scrubbed from the internet. Now, they were radical, kind of crazy uh, you know, thoughts on theology, but but the bottom line is he did them, right? And he gathered a following and people people followed him his whole life. But during if you go back and try and find those things, they're not there. And when you if you meet him live, and I have, and you bring him up, he uh he don't want to talk about it. <laughs> I don't blame him. I really don't. I just I just thought when I when I look at this story of Judah here it is, kind of a one-off chapter in the Bible, and he doesn't come off looking all that great. As a matter of fact, you could definitely say he comes off looking bad. And and the the fact that it's included in the, we'll call it the eternal record of the Bible, is fascinating to me. Because I'm guessing there's things in his life that he would have wished that you remembered more than what we just what covered over the last, you know, 40 minutes. I'm sure he would prefer you not remembering that he, you know, uh, the behavior of his sons or the fact that he went down uh, so far from, from his life as a, uh, as a leader in, in his family. You know, there's... There's just a lot about the story that I think he probably wishes we didn't know that. But, but quote, God wanted us to know. Why? Why? Well, I, I, don't, I don't know all the, I really don't know all the reasons. But it's one of, those, one of those opportunities to be really curious about Scripture. Like, why, 
would God put it in there? Now, some would say because he wants, you know, to teach us a lesson or, or he wants us to, um, you know, to, to not be like that. And, and there's some, I, I get that. You're right. There's some things that the Lord shows us about the 12 leaders of the 12 tribes of Israel that he's like, hey, I don't, I don't want you to be like this. But also he didn't hide it from us. And that's, that's another whole, you know, thing that I know a lot of people like to look into. Like, why does God not hide the flaws of the fathers of the faith, of the fathers of the 12 tribes of Israel? Uh, they, weren't all, they weren't all angels, despite, like I said, some of the uh, literary gymnastics that oral tradition will have you believe, at least from the Jewish perspective, these guys were all angels. And every bad thing they did was was, uh, you know, in adherence to the, to, you know, to God. It's, I, I don't, I don't think that's why the Lord put it in there. I, I, I don't know the full reason. And so my thoughts are many and varied when it comes to this story. I, I think to myself, well, would I want what I would consider one of the worst days of my life written down forever? But I think if it's a picture of the type of character I was, like that's, that's probably why it was written there. Judah probably lived a lifestyle that wasn't all that great. And his sons replicated that, that um, lifestyle. And history recorded it. And people knew him to be this way. So I, I look at this story and I think this is a representation of his life. And so you and I might have a, a one-off or even a you know 10 things in our life that we hope nobody really ever really finds out about. It's not that we would deny it, but we think that's not who I really am. You know, I did that, but it's not it's not my character. I'd prefer everyone in the world not knowing this. I think that this was Judah's character. And as I stated at the end of the episode, it, it's even more bizarre when you consider that this is the line that David came from. This is the line that the Messiah comes from. And so in the goodness of God, it doesn't matter what your family line is. It doesn't matter what their character was. It matters how you interact and respond to your circumstances and what perspective on those circumstances you are going to bring. Are you going to bring perspectives of heaven? Are you going to bring uh the identity and destiny and purpose of God that he put in you from the very beginning of the, of the planet? Or are you, going to, are you going to develop a different set of characteristics, a different identity in order to handle life? Well, ladies and gentlemen, those are my thoughts today. I know they weren't all that, all that squared up, but you know, a little, little scattered today, but that's all right. Sometimes I have scattered thoughts. And I'm sure you do too. Have yourself a great day, everyone. And I'll see you next week. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe to this podcast on any platform you use. You can also reach out to Bob for questions or booking at thebobswitzer.com or email him at thebobswitzer at gmail.com. See you next week, guys. See you next week, guys.